Want to, this is the artificial cut, okay? Anything we say from now on is totally uh, cuttable. We don't have to worry. We can speak freely. Let's stay in the Zoom. Yeah. Party time from here on in. Yeah. We're gonna have the first time so, we did this is everybody is uh, kind of uh, a little anxious and some people, you know, different degrees of uh, anxiety uh, speaking uh, under these terms. So now feel free to speak freely knowing we can cut whatever the hell we want. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, if um, if you're up for sticking on for a little bit more, chat a little bit about a couple of uh, maybe tangent topics. Or I'm just so happy of... to be here, you guys. I watch okay, you guys, cool. and I I've seen all the podcasts, so I'm so happy okay. to be invited. Thank you, Aaron. Well, yeah. So <laughs> you were the fun you were you hanging out with us. <laughs> you guys are awesome. I just I love it. I love what you say and how you think and. Thank you. I'm happy to be part Thanks of for being here. Yeah. I was, uh, it's funny, Chris is like, you can speak freely now. And I'm like, do I ever not speak freely? I'm <laughs> pretty sure I'm pretty definitive <laughs> with my opinion. I appreciate that. <laughs> I yeah, think, I think some listeners will relate to the fact I have the second guessing wheel going on all the time. A little hamster wheel of second guessing. So yeah, even, even uh, you know, I, I struggle with being truly authentic and truly honest because I'm like, well, if I say this, there, this might happen and say that. And so, yeah, you're, you're of yeah. the ilk and I appreciate very much. Well, you don't give a shit. Then. That's awesome. <laughs> well, what I've taken from your podcast, the podcast, Aaron, that you've done and watching you guys is that you're really looking for what works in the poem. It's not a critique session to take yeah, things yeah. apart. Obviously, anything can be looked at from different you know, lenses, but I really took away that it's what works, what's working. So I appreciate that. I like to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's kind of it's celebrating these poems that, you know, right. like I say, like any write anybody who's done writing and is submitted and like knows that like the struggle just to get something seen. I mean, like even if you post it to your own social media account and you go, there's 12 people seen it in the past week. Right. Um, and as an author you know, to have yeah. someone talk about it. Yeah. You know, how special for them. It's really special. Yeah, exactly. Well, in so workshops. Kind of reinforcing. Yeah. I think, uh, like, I, I, I tell people this all the time, but I did uh, the Community of Writers workshop. And I've done a couple since, but I like the philosophy of Community of Writers where, um, I mean, the idea is a generative workshop. So you have to show up seven days in a row and you have to write a new poem seven days in a row. Mm -hmm. And so you're not going to write your best work, right? Um, but what they encourage you to do is take risk and then talk about what is working in the poem, because there's no point talking about what doesn't work. It's more like, here's the thread that we want you to pick up and follow. Yeah. And so that's what I look at anytime I'm reading a poem, because we're all just poets writing poems. It doesn't matter where you're at in your journey. Um, and, you know, as a reader for Wild Roof, it's kind of like sometimes I'll see poems that I think aren't like quite making the cut. But I'll send Aaron a note and say, like, hey, you know, I think. This is a this is a poem where like I would want to workshop it and this person is almost there. So we should encourage that. Um, mm -hmm. Because, again, it's just like even even taking the step to submit poetry is hard to put yourself out there. Um, and poetry is kind of like a really small world. Um, you know, that's that's what I've learned. Um, <laughs> a lot of the same repeat names and it's hard to break in. And the more you get published, the more confidence you get. But you always 
I mean, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but pretty much every time I publish a poem, I'm like a little self-conscious when it comes out. So yeah, I mean, to, I always think what I wish I'd done differently. <laughs> oh yeah. I always see the, I always see the line where I'm like, Die, I yeah, here we go. Or, you know, just like, oh, I don't like this line anymore and it's too late. Um, yeah. It's where you were exactly. in the moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. I have a specific half-life and it's something like exactly 11 months. It's less than a year but it's more than the gestation of nine months where you look at your writing, you're like, uh, who wrote this? And uh, <laughs> that, that just enough distance, you're like, well, I love I, that. couldn't it be me? Um, and yeah, but the problem is, is that even if it's really good, I still will second guess myself at that point. Man, I'm well, in that kind of hell right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I did have a question to throw out there because it kind of it begs the question, those couple of comments of like, have you ever... I guess you could speak personally if you want, or just um, a little more abstractly, like, is there an issue of like putting something out there that's too personal or that you you created in, in the moment and then later on you thought, well, I don't know if I want that out on the internet, you know, published somewhere, um, just speaking from like a piece of personal writing that you might've done or any kind of thought on that. Cause I mean, publishing people's work you see really personal stuff and obviously it's it's such a it's a joy to be able to share it but it takes some level of like I don't know exactly what to call it but like just some fortitude to say yeah I, this is how I expressed that thought and that experience at that time and that's what it was um well I can speak to that because uh, I think you would know this best, Aaron, because you've seen a lot more of my work than um, the other two people here. But I've published two poems in Wild Roof and two separate issues, but those are outliers when it comes to my body of work. Um, typically, I don't write towards the aesthetic the aesthetic that we see in Wild Roof. Um, I tend to be, I think, what are, what did someone call it? Um, I had a reader for my chapbook workshop, and they said it was it was like reading emotional acupuncture. Um, because I, I believe in the tenet that I think Natalie Goldberg states where she says, you have to go for the jugular. You have to tell the truth. You have to tell your truth. And the more true you are, no matter how you find a way to be truthful and authentic, that's where your poem connects with people. And I think especially poetry, fiction writing too, but especially poetry exists in this place where you're not exactly always telling a story, right? There are narrative poems, but what you're doing is speaking to essential human truths, like, what are those human truths that are going to connect with people? And I have published poems that are about abuse, that are about um, assault, and they're out there in the world. And I used to have trouble with that. I used to worry, like, what if my mother reads this and she gets all sad or something? And then, you know, my mother did read it and she liked it. And even if she didn't, even if she didn't, that's my art. I found mm -hmm. a way to funnel it into art. And when I was younger, I struggled a lot with my mental health. I had a lot of problems with anger. Um, I had a lot of problems with depression and anxiety. And when I funneled that into writing, things changed for me. So I think, you know, everybody has a different approach to this and there's nothing wrong with being private, but I think as truthful as you wanna be in your art, fuck it, you should do it. You should tell the truth at all times. Um, I think one of the reasons that we have art in the world is the pursuit of truth. There's a reason that art booms during times of like societal upheaval. There's a reason that we need art when things are hard. And it's because there are those essential universal human truths and we all connect to each other. So um, 
you know, and I've said this before, you know, you have to filter it through craft. You have to make sure that what you're writing down or what you're creating or what you're painting still has its element of craft. Otherwise, it's just a journal. You're just journaling. And there's something to be said for journaling. And I think it's very, very healthy. And that's a whole different rant that I have. Um, and I think everybody should be journaling. But um, yeah, I mean, as long as you're using your elements of craft and you're approaching it as a piece of art, because a lot of my poetry is not all of it. Um, these days, I'm more writing <laughs> in a more positive vein and about different experiences. But I've written a lot about trauma. So um, yeah, I think people shouldn't have any shame. I think if people shame you for writing about whatever you feel is your truth, then they're not real readers. Yeah. And look at Sylvia yeah. Class and Sexton. <laughs> I think she's come up once or twice on the uh, podcast. I'll always bring up Class. Correct. I'll always bring up. <laughs> if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, thanks for that response. I think that's kind of like tuning into exactly what I'm kind of like talking about is like, yeah. And I, I mean, I live in that world where you see something that's put out in a creative manner. And like you said, that that it is put out as, on one hand, a personal artifact. And on the other side of the coin is a an aesthetic, you know, piece. So even though it is personal, it is something that's separate from the person at the time. So there's that kind of just difficulty of like, from the writer's perspective, like, do I want this thing out there? Because not everybody who sees it is going to have that <laughs> have that ability to like make that distinction. They might have, you know, more of a negative approach to it. But yeah, I think I, I mean, I'm obviously from a place where like we're approaching these things from that aesthetic perspective and making that distinction. So I think that's an important point to make. I just finished teaching a course for women on um, self-discovery and writing, and it was a month-long course. And one of the most difficult aspects for some of the women were being vulnerable enough to tell their story. Uh, and so we created a safe place, and that's not always true out in the world that there's a safe place, but it's a great place to start. And then something that worked for some of them was instead of using I, they would write in third person to tell tell their poems or their stories. And then they always had the chance later if it felt like it needed to be in the first person, they could always move it back, but it gave them an opportunity. And I really appreciated watching that experience happen to, to take the different lens and um, move it around so that it could be shared and then they could make discernment around it. I say that I, I love that idea because I think I grew up with almost too much of the idea that someday I'll be a writer, so all my meaningful experiences will show up in writing. And so, uh, you know, out on a date or climbing a mountain or, you know, doing uh, changing a tire on the side of the road in the rain and like, wow, think of how good this will sound in writing. And then I would stifle myself up by trying to do the journaling and uh, try to the narrative flow and what the, what the voice is going to sound like. And I have had a few experience, experiences just accidentally where if I turned it third person, ah, okay. Mm. <laughs> where the experience, third person is a safety mode that get a little distance. But then I figured out if I crafted a first person voice that was in an unrealistic situation, the first person voice. So they're kind of two tracks again going on at the same time. So the fantasy for me, I'm more interested ultimately in longer narrative forms, the pile of half a novel is over there in the corner, 
would be to have the kind of essential honesty over here, but also with the first person voice that is kind of plucky and funny. And it's, it's, a, it's a narrator that's mostly me that I relate to. And if I could bring those two together, that would be the fantasy for any bigger projects. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I have a I have a short story that I'm shopping right now, Chris. That's about strippers and cocaine, and you know, oh, it's not for every journal. Did you take that from my journal? I should send it to you. I should send it to you. All it's right, only three long. It's a little flash fiction. Oh man, I would. I'm I'm really proud of that little piece, but I can tell mm -hmm. you know I submit it out and I have to research each journal to be like, do you want this? You have to teach people to read your work, and everybody has their unique voice and. You know, there's a lot of discussion about finding your voice. And I think the more authentic you are and the more you tell your truth, whether or not it's painful or sometimes, you know, I mean, there, there are poets that, that tell their truth. I mean, there's a the poet that I talked about on the last podcast. He's a, you know, ex-punk uh, and hardcore member of the you know, punk and hardcore touring band and everything. And I think he calls himself a failed rock star. And so his mm. truth isn't necessarily always sad, right? But it's his truth. And I mean, like Ada Limon, who's, you know, one of our, where I think we're living in the age of Ada right now. She's magical. Um, a lot of her truth is, is sensual and it's, it's cutting in its own way, but it's, it's also, it's also gleeful. The way that she approaches life is with a lot of appreciation for what she has and what's around her. Um, she has this great poem where she writes about her parents being divorced and how she had abundance. She had two households of love and it wasn't that, she came from a broken home. She came from a more whole home because she had more, like more, she had more, she, and she characterized it as abundance. So yes, I mean, you're, it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to be writing about sad to be authentic, but, um, you know, I think you have to write about, you have to incorporate some of your own self into it. And I think as long as you're authentic, you connect. Um, that's like the biggest advice I give people is just tell the truth. Right. And not all poetry is biographical. And yet mm -hmm. our experience is all we have. So even in fiction, I always think that writer puts so much of their experience in it because we can't help it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You know, we're narcissistic Absolutely. beings. We have to come from where we are and we read from where we are. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of subject matter I'm never going to write about because of my life history and because you of couldn't. my life experience. Right. Same. I, I couldn't. It. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't have it. I can't write about New England. I'm not from there. Right. Like, Right. I can't write about like, I can't do a Robert Frost and talk about the fence posts in New England and the long walk I took in the snow because I don't know what we're talking about. I don't have snow. I live in the desert. Like, <laughs> that's all I got. I got like desert white trash and strippers and cocaine and like those sorts of things around me. And that's the kind of stuff that I like to write about. So, yeah, I think wherever you find your joy in writing, you should write it. And you should also create art, even if you aren't going to show it to anyone. Um I'm far That's a too great discussion life. right there, Aaron. That's a great question, right? You should. You should. You should create art just for yourself. I mean, ultimately, everything I write is just for me. And as long as I'm happy, that's all that matters. You know, not all of it, I think, is good enough to submit to lit journals. And if but you find my social media, it? like, it's still, I post the ones that I think aren't good enough for submission onto my social media, which, you know, in retrospect, maybe it's a bad practice yeah. if I want to be taken seriously as an artist, but I don't care because I wrote them and I think they're funny. And sometimes mm -hmm. poetry is how I communicate with the world. Like, that's just, that's just how I experience the world as I think about it yeah. through poetics to what you're saying, Chris, right? Some of my life experiences, I'll just be like, well, this is a whole ass poem when I'm changing a tire or something. It's like, this is a unique situation and I like it. And I like the way that I look at things, the way that I think that like this could be art. 
every moment of my life. You're reaffirming it, right? You're kind of reinforcing it as it's happening, creating your own mythology. Have you ever run into the problem that I have where you have an anecdote that's obviously a good anecdote, but it doesn't necessarily match the mythology? So strippers and cocaine. Like I have a, a chapter that I'm trying to write right now, which is about two characters, fictional, um, who spend the night in the attic of a strip club because the guy knew the guy who owned the strip club. And we were able to kind of camp out. And there's, if you want to know what an attic of the strip club looks like, it looks like a normal attic because there's like Halloween decorations and Halloween outfits and the stuff the girls have. And the house mom has her stuff over here. And so we're basically <laughs> spending the evening in the attic of the strip club. They lock the doors and we deliberately sneak up there. And it's like a great anecdote, but I don't know how to write it because it's it's fun to tell the story, but like, What's the moral going to be exactly like? And eh, we stuck out in the morning and they never knew. Uh, I don't I, I got that's a good story to tell. But it, the spiritual undertone of that, I, I can't quite latch onto it. But maybe well, always writing it, it might come because it's a that's it's a very point. interesting story. I'm engaged. Maybe. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's always and you could always take the what is it? Is it postmodern where there, there is no moral? Right. Mm-hmm. There doesn't no, need to be a moral to your story. A moral. <laughs> you need I, I'm not I'm sure. I'm, I'm literally going to. I like a lot of postmodern theory in some uh, frames if you're analyzing other people, but you know, just in terms of writing, when I felt best about writing, it was both personal uh, narrative, it's something that either was related to me or something that I believe in. And it reaffirmed it, it made it more real, and it kind of created or contributed to kind of that personal mythology. And when other people respond to that, they're like, oh, I. I also had a situation like that, different circumstances, but it related to the essence. Maybe I not the attic of the stripper club, maybe the back room. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I want to stay true to the experience. It was the attic. When we actually That's great. <laughs> well, what intrigues me about that is the idea that it's like a normal attic, right? It's just like Halloween decorations and That's a house mom stuff, which could be anybody's mom stuff. Right? Yeah. Like just a vanity and like the Halloween decorations. And like that's kind of like. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it could be a setting for anything. It doesn't even need to be the attic of a strip club, right? Just any any sort of, and I think what's funny about it and what's interesting about it is that you expect it to be anything but mundane when you go up there. You're well, like, this is going to be thongs and glitter everywhere and drugs. I want to keep, <laughs> keep it in the attic of the strip club is because that's where I actually experienced that. So like changing the tire in the rain, I actually spent that evening up there and there was the weird smells and there was like the Christmas stuff over here, but there's also the weird high heels over here. And we're just kind of rummaging. It's me and another guy just rummaging through <laughs> what looks to be kind of a normal attic. But since that really happened, I guess the way I want to write it is he and I have a more philosophical conversation about it while it's happening. I guess that would be the fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. The that's, two of us that, talking that through it more intelligently. At the time, we're like, oh, let's put the Santa hats on. Yeah, I think that's what was coming to mind it was like that conversation is kind of like on the nature of like fantasy and reality and like you know like the the expectation versus the actual experience and what is a strip club if not a semaphore or a facsimile of what you want to be a real experience okay i got it thank you (laughs) where does that come up in your novel right in other places there's your mythology right when is the normal and sort of the abnormal coming up against each other and I use that abnormal loosely, but you know, yeah. there's an exploitation factor happening. But that's there's a lot in it. Business. Yeah, but like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm imagining like you could even if this is fictional, go for it. But like everybody else is like, 
downstairs like having like the experience of like the good time in quotes and you and the other the other character are like in the attic like rummaging and like engaging you know, with we, like we were, downstairs, real. We, were downstairs, we were downstairs initially and we kind of like um had yeah. a halfway deal half owner to sneak upstairs so I yeah, so it's like it's this kind of like separation out. aspect of like you're separating yourselves from the masses. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. We had a little trouble getting out in the morning. I actually did struggle with that. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I almost think that's a great opening line. We had a little trouble getting out in the morning. <laughs> that is a good line. I know you missed our uh, opening line workshop, but mm -hmm. you uh, made you made up for it. Um, I'm obsessive oh. about opening lines, man. Opening lines and final lines, like that's what I look for as a reader of any poem. That's the yeah. first thing I'm going to look at. And I filter like through that. I'm like, how did we start? Did we start with a bang? And how did we end? Because I want to know yeah. where you're bringing me. What's our natural conclusion that you're bringing me to? And I think it's really hard to end any any piece of writing. Um, that used to be my big problem when I first started writing. I was like 19 years old and I had a family friend that was sort of a mentor to me. He was a creative writing professor. And I could start stories, but I couldn't finish them because oh. I didn't know what I wanted to talk about. And I think that's where you start out with writing because you don't know, to Chris's point, what's it, what's the moral of your story? What are you trying to say here? And I think with with poems, much like songs, right? The songs have like the chorus. Um, poems have like their closing line, which is like, this is our thesis. This is what I'm trying to say to you. I think uh, I'm thinking of Ada Limon again, only because it's the first, uh, this one poem, um, I think it's called The End of Poetry or The Death of Poetry. It closes her most recent book. Um, it ends with, I am asking you to touch me. And I think it's a real banger to like end a whole book on, but also to end a poem on. And it's so direct. Great line. Oh, it's great a, line. it is a great, great line. Um, I think about that line all the time. And I think she's read it for like the Library of Congress now. Um, it's because she's the new U.S. Poet Laureate. But yeah. killer line, killer line. And so that's, you know, I look for that all the time, but opening lines, I think if you can really punch someone in the gut, then you hook them and they don't leave you. And like with those stick poems, like the one I was talking about today, grandfather passes in the hall. It's like, it starts off with a bang, right? And he never lets up. He just like keeps hitting you with those gut punch sentences. Mm -hmm. And so you're hooked through this entire page long stanza and it's masterful. It's really, really good. Let's, uh, let's shout out one of the uh, issue 17 poems. Even if we just do like an opening line, speaking of opening lines, this is one that we had mentioned. I'll just throw out the opening line. Kath uh, Catherine Matico, Old Friends, is the poem. And the opening like sentence, we'll call it, goes like this. The twins always see me coming. They break out in applause, 10,000 glittering hands, clapping and waving. So it's broken up into four poem lines, but the, the opening sentence. Um, and then we'll, we'll shout out one other opening line. Uh, Pat uh, Daneman or Daneman. Uh, sorry, pal. Uh, but the poem is called Walking with a Ghost in, Deer in Deerfield Forest. And it opens with a question. And this is one we used in our recent workshop as far as opening with a question. Um, and that opening line is, and if you wander, how will I know where you are? So, no, um, I really liked all the questions in that poem, by the way. Yeah, um, I'm not a huge fan of questions, questions, but that poem, man. Yeah. 
I need to be sold when there's questions. I'm like, are you answering or are you going to leave me with some cool mystery or like what kind of questions are we asking here? Because it's like, you see so many poems that ask questions. So many. And that's one of, my, um, yeah. pit, one of my pitfalls is like asking too many questions. So what if it, a couple of times when I've like workshop poems, I kind of know that's a spot to work on is like, that's just one of the, the writing steps maybe of like, oh, there's a question and then revisit it and and go back to it but it is interesting when there is a poem with more than one question in it and yeah and it's dialogue it it's is a it, dialogic yeah. questioning call and response yeah so that is kind of one of those like technical aspects of evaluating a poem is like when is too many questions and that's one that just kind of hits personally because i tend to ask if it's two-thirds questions, questions i'm kind of tapping out <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah, I I I do hit a wall with the questions, but again, yeah, hit a like, wall. There's, there's so many things that are cliche in poetry, but I think it's like cliche exists because it's worked, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. whenever I'm like reading, I'm like, you want to be careful when you're steering into that territory of cliche. Make sure that it really works. Like, make sure you can carry it because mm-hmm. so many people are doing it. It's sort of like um, I'm trying to think of like trends that were really big. I've seen trends where like people were writing sonnets a lot after reading the Diane Seuss book. Um, and I'm like, yeah, that's great. You should write sonnets because sonnets are one of our original forms of poetry and it harkens back to centuries and centuries of writing. Um, but also be careful how you're doing your sonnet, right? Because so many people are going to write sonnets and submit sonnets. You want to stand out. I wanted to shout out, um, a Julie Banesh poem that's in the newest issue, Frosting, which like, I love the title and the context of the poem. And it just starts out, it seems to me I'd lost the way and the way is way over on the other side of the page. And I, I really like the- I love that. Right. Oh my God, this poem is really, mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun reading it because like yeah, a lot really of people like to use that space. And I, I do that too, where I'm like, okay, I'm playing with field too much. I got to condense it. I got to use some form, but I just really like, it seems to me I lost the way. So I asked my spiritual advisor and dealer, hey, as a crow flies to wanton boys, how to get back on the path with heart, not expecting to be shook down. And that's like a couple of opening lines, but like immediately it was like, I asked my spiritual advisor and dealer <laughs> after I'd lost the way. And I was like, this is great. This is a great little context. You're establishing mm-hmm. this whole little bit where I'm like, what's going on here? This is great. Why is it called frosting? Um, and it hooked me immediately all the way up till the end, which is at the cost of tomorrow, the day I grew. So that first opening line and that closing line, it really like comes full circle. And I hope, and I felt that like punch in the gut that I'm looking for. Um, it's dramatic and, and in a good way. I really like it. I like where it says the goddamn thing looks like Christmas, but it's poisonous. You know, you're like, oh my god, yeah. It's just and the all snow of it. and the yeah, all it makes it. sense of the frosting. It all it all works. Change of mood from bad to buzz. I was yeah, like, bad oh. to buzz, right? Oh yeah, I'm in a bad mood and I'm in a buzzed mood. And like, what and is that transition? Yeah, it's so good. Tomorrow of a day I'd rude when you pulled that Absolutely. out. Absolutely, just it's, delicious. Yeah. Like, oh, what a way to say there's regret, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good one, too. I really enjoyed that. I uh, found a, a quote that I wrote down earlier in the week. The reason I got reminded of it was the cliche idea. And so uh, we've reached the Alan Watts portion of the, of the podcast. So I, uh, the quote I wrote down was from Alan Watts. Something to the effect, it might not be precisely exact 100%, but uh, the quote would be, uh, we don't know 
how to make something beautiful, as soon as we know, it becomes cliche. So there's kind of mm -hmm. something to that in the sense of like, mm -hmm. it's not like so far different, something that's cliche versus something not. I mean, there's elements of like, even the first poem we spoke of um, a while back at this point was um, watching the rain through a window. Okay, that could be cliche. Um, but the, the poem was expressed in a way that made something vital and made something real like something that we felt in the moment of experiencing it. And that brought it from something we've done how many times in our lives and not really found it too remarkable and brought it into a place where it's something special. Yeah, there's something kind of mysterious about it. There's not, at least from my perspective in, in the writing process, it's not so much like, it's not a formula you could follow to say, yeah, that's what I got from experience. the cliche. I mean, the poem. Yeah. I mean, the uh, quote. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like you can't make something beautiful by just wanting to make something beautiful. <laughs> it's like for it not to become cliche. That's really good. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alan Watson. Yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts? Any other questions that you've had so far? Other than the beauty of fleeting existence and the imminence of death, I don't know. I don't have anything. Okay, Chris. <laughs> Jeez. It's heavy, man. It's heavy. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> so uh, I think we'll come to a close for the for this session. Thanks again, uh, Chris, once again, co-hosting for this evening. Uh, Rachel, you're the second time podcast participant you're in you're in the vortex now <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Anne, first time joining us on the podcast but uh, you've been helping out as a reader for a little bit um so you're not so much a newcomer uh, so yeah thanks again for joining us for chatting choosing some favorites uh we'll be back thanks at to it the again contributors soon. that wrote these spectacular yeah, poems guys great to see you Good thank to you see so you. much thanks for all you That's gave me great. on this thank you Thank you.